It's a good week to start busting some football narratives. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast. I'm your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, or Seth Kaiser. Um, This is a a very exciting podcast for me. I'm going to be starting a new series, and we're going to be diving right in. Um, With the offseason, we've got some time to look at various football concepts a little more closely. There's not as much to talk about with regards to the Chiefs. Although with the way Brett Veach has been doing things, who knows how much spare time I'm going to actually have. Um... But there's something that I've really wanted to do for a while, and I've never been able to do it in an article series, so I'm going to do it here. I, I want to, over the course of some weeks here, talk about the, the dangers of box score analysis and the problems that it presents at various positions in football. What do I mean by box score analysis? Well, I mean when people, to decide how a player did, they look at their basic box score, you know, the stuff that you will find in the box score at ESPN, not splits, not deeper stats, but simply, you know, for a quarterback, you know, yards and touchdowns, or for a pass rusher, sacks, or for a cornerback, interceptions, or for an inside linebacker, tackles, or for a running back, yards and touchdowns yet again, or a receiver, catches. Uh, These are the things that I want to discuss about why we're kind of doing it wrong when we do it that way, the average football fan, and of course none of you are average because you're listening to this podcast, the average football fan tends to base the vast majority of his or her opinion off what they see in that basic box score. You know, fantasy football points, if you will. What they see scrolling across the bottom of the screen when they're watching a different game. They see, well, Drew Brees threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Man, he had a heck of a game. Um, way better than that guy who passed for 250 yards and one touchdown. And that's that's kind of what they base their analysis on. And I want to I wanna talk about that because this is something that's very near and dear to me. It's a big reason why I do what I do is the simple fact that box score analysis doesn't provide you with nearly as comprehensive a picture as you should have. So we're going to start that series. Um, today, we, we're going to do multiple positions. Today, we're starting with quarterback. Um, for each one of these positions, we're going to start with kind of the stats people look at, what it causes them to miss, and why those stats are flawed, and what people can look for um, for actually a few decent statistics that they that are publicly available, generally speaking, and then what they can look for in a broadcast viewing that might allow them to move past box score analysis. So the reason I'm doing this is because, quite simply, eight or nine years ago, that's what I did. I did box score analysis. Even for the first few years when I contributed to Arrowhead Pride, that's generally speaking what I did. I looked at tackles and sacks and yards and touchdowns, and, and that was generally what what I did, the longer I did this, and the more I got into the film, and the more I started talking to people that do this professionally, and people that know the game, the more I realized how flawed that was, and so what I'm going to try to do is kind of give you a crash course on the journey that took me, you know, seven or eight years to figure out, and help you get there in 30 minutes, which I'm sure it shouldn't be hard for you guys, because I'm a slow learner, and so that's what we're going to look for here, and again, we're starting with quarterback. For obvious reasons. Quarterback is the moneymaker position in the NFL. It's the one people talk about the most. It's the one people debate the most. And so that's where we're going to start. Generally speaking, when people talk quarterbacks, they they talk fantasy football stats. Um, And again, we're talking the average football fan here. Not people that are maybe 
crazy people like you and me that read every article we can find and just get completely nuts trying to find all the film review we can find. I'm talking about your standard layman football follower. They look at yards, touchdowns, maybe completion percentage. Maybe if they really want to get in depth, they look at yards per attempt. Um, or for some people, they look at wins. You know, this quarterback's a winner, that quarterback's a winner. Um, that drives me insane. But there's a basic reason why all these stats are flawed. Yards, touchdowns, completion percentage, yards per attempt, which yards per attempt and completion percentage are considered a little more in-depth stats. Those are flawed as well. And here's the basic reason. And this is the reason we're going to find repeated a lot throughout this series. They are impacted by others. Those stats are impacted by others. Um, let me, they, they're not, they don't isolate the quarterback's play from the offense. For example, and this would be the most popular example, especially in an Andy Reid offense, if Let's, well, Patrick Mahomes now, since he's the quarterback now. If Patrick Mahomes dumps a screen pass off to Kareem Hunt, and Kareem Hunt gets some great blocking and takes it 60 yards to the house, that is a 60-yard touchdown, a one-for-one, 100% completion percentage, 60 yards per attempt. And, and so it, 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 across the board, it takes his QB rating and it skyrockets it, right? Those, that, that it looks great on paper. It looks vastly superior. Let's say the Chiefs now, instead of running this screenplay, they're they're running out of a shotgun formation, and I don't know, Tyreek Hill runs a 15-yard out to the opposite hash, and Mahomes evades pressure and drills it on a line to Tyreek Hill, and Hill drops it. That hurts his completion percentage. It hurts his yards per attempt. He gets no yards from it. There's obviously no touchdown there, and it hurts his quarterback rating, but from Patrick Mahomes' perspective, he made a superior football play. It just doesn't show up in the box score. And so what I'm saying, those, those stats, they're flawed because they don't take into account what other people are doing. Or let's say even worse, let's say Mahomes hits Tyreek Hill in the hands, the ball bounces up in the air, and it's picked off by a defender. Well, now it's the holy grail of a bad quarterback stat, right? An interception. And so that destroys his QB rating. It hurts his completion percentage, hurts his yards per attempt. Obviously, again, no touchdowns, no yards. And on paper, he made a worse football play when in reality, Mahomes on his own made a better football play than in our previous example where he flipped a a four-yard screen to Kareem Hunt. But the box score reflects exactly the opposite. So it's so crucial that you get that right out of the gate because so many people can't get past that. They can't even get to that first point here because they say, well, no, the box score shows what actually happened. Yes, the box score shows the what. But what's important to me is the why and the how. And if you don't catch the why and the how, you cannot, you cannot evaluate individual players. Can't do it. It just is impossible to do. And so that's so important to catch why those stats are flawed. Because they leave out everything else. They, 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 they don't show... I'm, I'm sorry, let me, re, let me rephrase that. They bring in everything else. The offense that the player runs, right? Because quarterback stats, they're heavily dependent at times on the system they run. The wide receivers, everything else that happens, you have no idea how they got to that stat. You just know that stat exists. So there's tons of things you miss... When that happens, when you are just looking at these basic quarterback stats, when you're just looking at yards and touchdowns, completion percentage, yards per attempt, you are missing a ton 
of things. You are missing pocket presence. You are missing genuine accuracy. You can't tell accuracy from completion percentage. Say it with me. Completion percentage is not accuracy. It is not because you are not factoring in difficulty of throws, ball placement, what the receivers have done, all those things. You when you when you when you look only at box score analysis for quarterbacks, you ignore plays made, and that's something that I chart when I review quarterbacks. And what that means is when the play breaks down, when the offensive line gives up immediate pressure, when none of the wide receivers get open, when the offense doesn't win, what does the quarterback do? If he makes a play on his own, that's a vastly superior play to when the offense wins. Easy example of this. Let's say the Chiefs are running out in a spread formation and they've got uh, Travis Kelsey lined up in a slot position and the, the, the safety on him is way off because he's afraid of you know getting torched deep. And so Kelsey just runs a quick curl and Mahomes hits him for a seven yard gain. Kelsey's wide open, easy, just pitch and catch. Okay, seven yard gain. Or let's say Everything falls apart on a play. There's immediate pressure, and no receivers are open immediately, just blanket coverage. And Mahomes has to evade three rushers, scramble around, shake a tackler, and then at the last second, as he's falling away from the other side, he sees Travis Kelsey again open, seven yards down the field because he's worked his way open against the coverage, and he throws it on the line as getting as he's getting hit. I know it's impossible to imagine, but he throws it on the line as he's getting hit, Seven-yard gain. On the box sheet, that is literally the same play, but they couldn't be more different. And plays made is what I'm talking about with that. When a quarterback took a bad situation, turned it into a good one. One of the most valuable things in the NFL. Almost any quarterback, any average quarterback, can play extremely well when his offensive system is winning. Um, Not to pick on Nick Foles, but he's a good example of that. You saw him play incredibly well for a couple games because Doug Peterson called ridiculously good games. And Nick Foles is an average to slightly above average quarterback. And so when things are going well, he can just, just tear teams apart. It's the same thing with Alex Smith. When things are going well, he can tear things apart. What really separates quarterbacks is how they do when things are going poorly. So plays made is another thing that you that you miss out with box score analysis. Shots missed. Were there open receivers down the field? You there is no statistic that shows that in box score analysis. Yeah, a five yard gain is is nice, but if the quarterback just completely missed a wide receiver wide open twenty five yards down the field with no one around him, that play costs the team. There's opportunity costs there in that they don't get the touchdown that they should have gotten, even though they got a five-yard gain. The box score does not reflect that at all. Um, And reads made, pre- and post-snap. You cannot see that on a box sheet. You cannot see what the quarterback's calling out in advance. And you can't see whether or not he's staying calm in the pocket and going through his reads. You can't tell that on a box sheet. And pocket presence, by the way, is something I'm going to come back to time and time again as we talk here. Because it is one of the most important traits for a quarterback in the NFL. If you want to be anything more than average, you need good pocket presence. And box score analysis does not show you that. Another thing that you missed is, is ball placement. And we're going to get a little more into that here shortly. Um, You miss potential picks, right? An incomplete pass on paper doesn't look that bad, but if it was an incomplete pass because it hit a guy right in the hands, a defender, and they dropped it, that's a horrible quarterback play, but it goes down the same as a wide receiver drop when the quarterback made a great play. 
And again, what we're looking for here is to acquire information. We're looking to have as much information as possible to try to figure out exactly how one guy played. Right? That's what we're talking about. One guy, the quarterback. So you miss potential picks when you do box score analysis. You miss yards after catch. That's a big one that people are becoming more and more aware of lately. Some offenses and some wide receivers help their quarterbacks a great deal by creating a tons, a ton of yards after catch. And so you need to be able to separate those things if you really want to know what happened on the field. If a quarterback, again, we'll go to our screen example, or just a quick drag route, a quarterback hitting a guy running a quick drag route that's you know five yards ahead of him, that does not require a skill set that thousands of people don't have. But those can turn into huge gains when they're run effectively. And so you have to look at yards after catch, and that's something that you miss if you're just going with basic box score analysis. And that's just a a flavor of the things that you miss. I mean, I'm able to rant for three or four minutes, but hopefully you get an idea now, as I talk about this, the incredible amount of information you're missing. So when you you tell me, well, yards and touchdowns are what really happened, no, they're not. Talk to me about talk to me about where the throw was. Talk to me about yards after catch. Talk to me about the pocket presence the quarterback showed. Talk to me about whether or not it was the play that succeeded or the quarterback. Talk to me about whether there were shots missed. Talk to me about the reads that were made. Talk to me about potential picks, the placement. All of these things you can't tell me if you're just looking at the basic box score. And so part of what I'm going to do in this series is I'm going to talk to analysts that I really respect Um, in breaking down these various positions and ask them a series of questions um, what they think is the most important thing fans miss when they use box score analysis and basic stats, whether there's any stats that they trust, and what's one trait fans can watch during broadcast viewing of these games to see how they feel about a certain player. Because not everyone's going to watch the All-22 for you know an hour and a half because you're not all crazy like I am. I get that. And so the guy that I went to for this is Mark Schofield, who is at Mark Schofield, S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. I imagine most of you follow him. He is, in my opinion the absolute best quarterback guy in the business. Way better than I am. Knows the game, knows knows formations and play calls and that kind of stuff significantly better than I do. I'm just a guy who learns stuff from guys like him. He's the real deal. If you don't, at Mark Schofield, great quarterback guy to follow. And so I asked him some of these questions. And before we go into our first break, the first thing I asked him is, what does he think the most important thing fans miss when they use box score analysis? And this is what he said. Again, this is at Mark Schofield, great quarterback mind. I think the most important thing fans miss when using the box score is ball placement. It is such a critical component to playing the position, but sometimes people rely on completion percentage to gauge accuracy. Accurate throws and completions can be poorly placed. There's a difference between an accurate throw and a well-placed throw. Well-placed throws are put in the right spot on the receiver based on the route concept, the coverage on the play, and the leverage in coverage. You can complete a pass with a poorly placed throw. And poorly placed throws prevent in many circumstances the ability of a receiver to pick up yardage after the catch. Seriously, if that does not tell you the kind of mind that Mark is with regards to quarterbacks, I don't know what to tell you. He's saying the most important thing you miss is ball placement. And again, ball placement and accuracy are two different things. And a, there's a difference between a decent throw and a great throw. And that can often be the difference between a good play and a great play. And Mark is absolutely, as always, right on point. I would say, 
and this is because it's my big thing, the most important thing I think people miss when they do just box score analysis is pocket presence. They miss what the quarterback is actually doing under pressure and what he's creating within the pocket, how he's handling pressure. And it's such a wildly important thing. But Mark is just so right on the money here with ball placement. And like he said, you know, accurate throws and completions can be poorly placed. And there's a difference between an accurate throw and a well-placed throw. And when you look at whether a throw is well-placed, you've got to look at the route concept, the coverage, and the leverage in the secondary. Those are hard things to look for. But they're crucial if you want to know really how well a quarterback played. That's awesome stuff. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to move on to uh, what it is, maybe some, some good quarterback stats that people can look at, and maybe some things that you can look at in the broadcast view. I've got a couple more unbelievably great nuggets from, from Mark here. We're going to do a mailbag, and we're going to call it a day. We're trying to do all this in under 30 to 35 minutes, so I'm going to be blazing through this. So we're going to get to all that right after this. All right, we're talking quarterbacks and the dangers of box score analysis with a little uh, a little write-in from Mark Schofield, at Mark Schofield, the best quarterback guy in the business. All right, we've talked about what you miss, and that's such an important thing with all of these is basically laying the foundation of what you're missing when you do box score analysis because that's hard for some people to accept. And so we delved into that, and so now I want to talk about what are some good quarterback stats and again I'm going to start with Mark here because again he's the man and he knows what he's talking about and so I asked Mark you know what is a good quarterback stat that fans can look at and he says I'm a bit of an ANY slash A convert adjusted net yards per attempt I was not a big fan of it originally but when I took some time this summer to read up on it I started to believe in it I'm also a believer in using as much information as you can to form a complete picture film study and statistical analysis are both beneficial and each adds a piece to the puzzle seriously if you're not following Mark on Twitter I don't know what you're doing I really don't you can learn so much from this guy so adjusted net yards per attempt now, what, I, what you can do if you really want to know what the actual formula is, you can just look it up. Adjusted net yards per attempt. And there's a, there's, there's a definition of it on pro football reference. It's basically a formula that combines pass yards and you get like a 20-yard bump for a passing TD minus 45 yards if there's an interception thrown plus there's minus sack yards and you've got passing attempts plus sack. And it's, it's this whole deal, okay? It's a formula. That takes a lot of things into account. Most of the best quarterback guys that I interact with, they really like this particular stat. And what you can do, if you really want to figure out, okay, you know, how much does this really tell, you can actually look at adjusted net yards per pass attempt, leaders all time. And as you go through the list, you're like, huh. This, this is some, these are some great, great, great quarterbacks, and not necessarily just quarterbacks that played for a long time, like if you looked at total yards or total touchdowns, that kind of thing. Now, again, it's not a perfect stat um, because there are some things that, you know, this is not just going to provide you with a list of the best quarterbacks in history because, you know, Chad Pennington is 23rd, although Chad Pennington was a good quarterback for a while. But it's a really good stat that factors in with the formula, and this is the crucial part here, it factors in a bunch of different things. It factors in pass yards, it factors in touchdowns, it factors in interceptions, it factors in passing attempt numbers, and it factors in sacks. Now, sacks can have to do with the quarterback or the offensive line, but this is a good stat. And it's definitely one that you can look to that, in my opinion, 
I agree with Mark. This is something that can tell you more about how well a quarterback is playing than total yards, total touchdowns, completion percentage, etc. Um, so if you're looking for a stat, again, adjusted net yards per passing attempt. And then here's the other thing, and this is part of the fun, right? You get to be the well-actually guy. When your friends are talking about, oh, this guy, he's got all these yards. It's like, well, you know, I'm more of an adjusted net yards per attempt guy. And then you get to be the guy, then they go, what? And you, and then you explain it to them, and they hate you forever because we're being pretentious. But who cares, right? Because you're right. And that's the point of all this, right? And so that's a great stat to look at. Uh, for me, um, I would advocate, um, and as Mark said, getting as much information as possible is a good thing. So what I would advocate doing, if you, if you have to go with box score analysis, for one, yes, start with adjusted net yards per passing attempt. And then what I would do is go through a combination of stats. I would look at air yards per attempt, and all these should be publicly available. I'd look at air yards per attempt to show you where the quarterback is generally throwing the ball, right? If a, if a quarterback has, you know, you know, four air yards per attempt versus eight air yards per attempt, you can safely somewhat assume he's making more difficult throws, or at least longer throws, which generally in the NFL means more difficult. Air yards per attempt, completion percentage, however, because again, completion percentage and accuracy are not the same thing, but again, we're not looking for perfection here. If you're going to look at per- completion percentage, you need to look at drops by the wide receiver and factor that in. And some people call that, you know, adjusted completion percentage. That's what I would go with. Look at completion percentage after you factored in drops. Now, drops are kind of a subjective stat, but we're not going for perfection here. The only perfect way to gauge a quarterback is through the film and through incredibly deep statistical analysis. We're looking for stuff that's publicly available that you can look at in a second. So, Adjusted net yards per passing attempt, air yards per attempt, completion percentage combined with drops, and yak percentage, yards after catch percentage. If your quarterback has a weirdly high amount of yards after catch percentage, that might be a function of the offense. On the flip side, and again, we're not going for for perfection here, but just as a warning, that might be a reflection of him throwing a great pass consistently, like what Mark referenced with regards to yards after catch with really well-placed balls. So... Those are those are stats that they're not perfect, but if you combine those stats together, I think you're going to have a much more complete picture of what a quarterback did. Or, you know, just to plug my own work here, if you're looking for something more in-depth when it comes to Chiefs quarterbacks, I've got you covered. Because what I do, I ignore almost all traditional statistics when I review Chiefs quarterbacks. I chart happy feet snaps where a quarterback bails on the pocket. I track missed shots where you can see on all 22, there's a wide receiver running open that appears to be part of the reads that the quarterback should have caught. I, I factor in drops and yards lost conservatively. I track flushes, how often the quarterback was flushed before, uh, flushed out of the pocket by pressure before receivers were open. I chart plays made. We talked about that. Potential picks. I chart something called franchise throws. That's obviously subjective, but what I tell people is you know it when you see it. Those are those plays that make you go, whoa. And to be honest, Mahomes made a lot of them against Denver. I chart multiple read plays where the quarterback clearly goes through more than one defined read. I chart accurate versus inaccurate throws. And then I chart where the ball was thrown. Behind the line of scrimmage, 1 to 5 yards, 6 to 10 yards, 11 to 19 yards, or 20 plus yards. So if you're looking for information on a Chiefs quarterback, 
I've got you covered for the most part because my goal is to try to chart things that you can only find on film. So there's a little plug for my quarterback work. Um, I think it provides more information. But if you're just going to do basic statistical analysis, the, the, the methods that Mark gave, the adjusted net yards per attempt, and some of those stats that I gave, air yards per attempt, completion percentage, with drops accounted for, and yard after catch percentage, if you look at all of those, you should have an okay glimpse at what the quarterback did absent what everyone else did. And so... The uh, the final thing I want to look at before we go into mailbag here is, okay, we've talked about some easy stats to look at, but what if you want to try to review the quarterback a little bit, but you don't have you know an hour and a half to review every game? Well, maybe not every game takes an hour and a half, but if you're charting, well, to be honest, it can. It's a time it's a time consuming process. What can you look for during the broadcast? That's what does most people the most good. And so I asked Mark, what can people look for during the the broadcast? And again, at Mark Schofield, great football guy, he says the two I would posit would be ball placement and pocket movement slash awareness. We've talked about the first. On the second, ball. so now pocket movement slash awareness, watch Tom Brady in the pocket sometime. No one would confuse Brady with a Marcus Mariota or a Blake Bortles or other athletic quarterbacks, but Brady's ability to slide around in the pocket, to move away from pressure, and to create space for making passes is elite, and it's a huge reason why he's playing as well as he is into his 40s. Once again, man, I hate to do it again, but Mark is just spot on. He's absolutely spot on. Watch ball placement. Don't just look to see whether the pass was completed. Don't just look to see whether it was even an okay throw. Think about, okay, was where that ball was placed, where was it at in, con- in, com- in combination with the route and with the coverage? Now, that can be hard on uh, when you're watching the broadcast view, but sometimes on replays you can see that. And so watch, you know, okay, where's the defender relative to it? You know, a lot of times people will think, from what I've seen, that a ball was poorly placed when the quarterback is just keeping his receiver from getting killed. That happens all the time. And so watch for things like that. Watch for that ball placement. And then pocket presence, this is where I cannot hammer on this enough. What he's talking about, watch Tom Brady in the pocket sometime. Watch how he slides and buys time. Same with Ben Roethlisberger. The best quarterbacks buy time in the pocket with their feet while keeping their eyes up the field. Watch for that. Now, that doesn't mean any time a quarterback drops his eyes and runs, it's a bad thing. Sometimes it's not. But often what you really want to see is awareness. What does the what does the quarterback know about the pass rush around him without even looking? Those are the two things that are really great to look for. Another thing that I would say is pre-snap and post-snap reads. Now, pre-snap reads, they're tough to identify really how he's doing with it other than when he adjusts plays at the line of scrimmage. But watch for that. Try to figure out how successful the team is when the quarterback makes adjustments at the line of scrimmage. You know, you can't necessarily chart it. Well, you could if you wanted to, but I'm trying to keep your game day experience still somewhat fun. But try, just try to keep that in mind. Well, you know, man, he's adjusted the play quite a few times, and they keep moving the ball. That's important. Then post-snap, watch, and this is involved with pocket presence too. Not, don't just watch how well he moves around the pocket and evades pressure. Watch how quickly and how calmly he goes from one read to the next. You can watch them just kind of tick off receiver options. One, two, three, four. Guys that can go through that quickly and smoothly, those are the superior quarterbacks. So those are the things you can actually see on the broadcast. Uh, Ball placement, pocket presence, pre-snap and post-snap reads. You can see those things if you're watching for them. Just don't get caught up in the yards and and the touchdown, whatever. Just watch for those things, and you will see how the quarterback is doing independent of the rest of the team around him. All right, 
We're at 27 and a half minutes, so we're going to go through without another commercial break because I've got some mailbag questions from you guys. Hopefully, this was informative for you because, again, what I'm bringing you through right here, these are things that really did take me years to learn to watch for, and that's because I'm a little bit slow. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a slow learner, and it took me a while to watch for this stuff, but once I started to... I've become a lot more confident in my ability to gauge how a quarterback plays absent what the rest of his team is doing. I'm I'm no longer, in my opinion, I don't think, gauging quarterbacks just based on what their team does. I'm more basing them based off an individual play. That's one reason why I think Derek Carr is a good quarterback but not a great one because from what I've seen, he's very reliant on elite protection from his offensive line. And when he doesn't get it, he struggles. There are things like that that you can look for. And that's why, you know, even as Alex was having one of the best seasons of his career, it's worth noting that in some of those games, except I would posit maybe the second half of the Redskins game and some of the Texans game, the the offense as a whole was winning as well, making Alex's job easier. And Alex did a great job executing it, but it was also the offense as a whole winning. Those are things you can watch for. So hopefully this gave you a little bit of uh, some, some, some extra tools in your tool belt when you analyze quarterbacks and some, some good stats to look at rather than the ones that are just fantasy football stats and nothing more. And so hopefully you enjoyed that. With that in mind, let's hit some mailbag questions because you guys gave me a lot of them. I'm going to do the very best I can to get through as many as possible. Um, Andrew Crocker asked me your preference for film of the year. I don't watch the Oscars or the Emmys or whatever it was. I'm sorry. I just don't not interested in it at all. Um, basically, the vast majority of films that get nominated for Oscars, I find boring, usually. And for me, generally speaking, it seems like they more pick them based on the message and not the film. And that doesn't make sense to me. So I just kind of, eh, I don't know. So whichever one won, I'm very happy for them. Hunter Baxter asks, what are your feelings on bringing in Kyle Fuller now that Marcus Peters is gone? And how soon would you take Shaq Griffin? I'm thinking early second easily. Hey, you got two questions in there, Hunter. Well played. Um, I would love for them to bring in Kyle Fuller. He's only got one great year. Um, Well, I wouldn't even call it great. He's got one very good year, and that worries me. But I do think having him on the same team as his little brother might be some guaranteed motivation to ball out because no one likes being shown up by their little brother. And so if Kendall Fuller is showing up at 6 in the morning, Kyle Fuller is going to be showing up at 6 in the morning. A little brotherly competition would be a good thing. If they're the types of brothers that want to be on the same team, I think it would be good for team chemistry. And so I, I would be in favor of it because I think if you sign him, and then you've got a corner group that consists of the Fuller brothers, Amerson and Steven Nelson. That's a really solid group. Even with Marcus Peters being gone, it's a vastly upgraded group over last year because last year it was Peters and then later in the season, Nelson and kind of Revis, but not really. You are much stronger in your top four than you were last season. So I would be all for it. As far as Shaq Griffin goes, here's my concern. Um, he is undersized. I think he is a pass rush only guy in the league. Um, I've had some people talk about inside linebacker. I don't think that's his thing. His The thing he's best at is rushing the passer. Problem is he weighs like 235, 240 pounds, if that. Um, that's going to be something for him to climb. Here's what I will say, though. With everything I've read about him, I would not bet against that guy. I really wouldn't. He's a freak athletically, clearly, and he knows how to rush the passer. That's very valuable. I wouldn't take him in the second round just because I think he's a pigeonholed player. I would take him, and it has nothing to do with the hand, for the record. He's shown that that is a non-issue. For me, it's everything to do with the fact that he's an extremely undersized pass rusher, which means that you can really only take him 
Uh, you can only get him on the field on obvious passing situations. So I would say he's a fourth or fifth round guy. I hope that I look like an idiot for saying that because that guy's story is great. Clint asks, uh, what is your favorite free agent pick for the Chiefs cornerback help? Um, and also least favorite if you have one with regards to cornerback help. There are a lot of good corners in free agents, and I don't want to cop out. But I would say, I mean, you can pick one of the higher-end guys like a Kyle Fuller type. Or you could maybe look at uh, Breland, who's a free agent from Washington. When I reviewed uh, Kendall Fuller's film, Breland wasn't bad. He was competitive. He wasn't great. But he, he was pretty good on the outside. Good enough that they were able to keep Fuller on the inside. So he'd be like a, a, a lower-level guy that they could sign. They could maybe go after like Tremont Williams or someone like that for like a stop gap um i want them to be aggressive and continue to throw bodies at that though because competition is a good thing um neil davidson says it appears that the youth movement on defense is an effort to create a dominant defense for 2019 and just competitive in 2018 do you think more will be done to increase the firepower on offense than you originally thought i have no idea there's literally nothing brett veach could do at this point other than trade mahomes that would surprise me nothing so i have no idea i'm hoping that they look at the offense they've already got and say wow it was a good offense last year they can mostly stand pat with that i think and really load up the defense because if they take the offense and the offense is 98 percent of what it was last year 95 percent of what it was last year maybe a little more consistent if you can take that and have the defense be average instead of crummy you are going to do well you are going to be able to compete for a super bowl with that you genuinely can so i hope that they go after guys to address that um lord chief raka <laughs> I like that. Ask, if we could pull any free agent, who do you want? What position should we address in free agency as opposed to the draft? I want them to load up on defense in free agency um, as well as the draft. I want them to draft a few. Maybe I'd love to see a left guard in the draft and maybe like a tight end, you know, some some guys that they could develop, a wide receiver, maybe QT or something like that. Uh, as far as any free agent I could possibly get, I've talked about this before. I think Joyner would be great. Um, I think it would be wonderful to pair him. If, uh, if the Honey Badger gets cut, go for him. I think there are a lot I think getting some help at safety would be a big deal. There just isn't a ton of help in other spots. Maybe Sheldon Richardson, but he's a good player but not an elite one, though he really addresses a need up front. One guy I do think they should start calling is Mo Wilkerson for a one year prove it deal because that guy when motivated is a monster. Um, uh, DKKC asks, do you think Veach is positioning the team to grow young players with playing time while cleaning dead money and bad contracts off the books and playing the long game, hoping for a window to open around 2020? Or do you think he has a different game plan going forward? I hope he's not just shooting for 2020. I really don't. They've got guys in place. This roster is still built to win now. I hope that this isn't that long a plan. Um, Keith asks, anyway... You can start taking live calling questions on the podcast. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm not technologically astute enough to do that. Um, so continuing, just got a few more left here because we're going to hit 35 minutes in a moment. Um, for your mailbag, very interested to hear your thoughts on what you think Brett Veach will do to advance his new era in free agency in the draft based on what we've seen him so far in his public comments. I think he's going to be aggressive. I really think by the time free agency the smoke clears with that and the smoke clears with the draft. I think people will have gotten most of the bad taste of the Marcus Peters stuff out of their mouth. That's I, I wish I had a better thing to say besides being aggressive, but so far he has been wildly aggressive, even in times when it's tough to do so. James P. asks... Uh, a cheap veteran quarterback option to back up Patrick. Why is no one mentioning Geno Smith? You know, that could be interesting. I mean, Andy Reid is a guy who can develop guys. I wouldn't hate it. Anyone who Andy Reid signs, I'd be okay with. Um, 
you know that he could potentially redeem his career a little bit signing with Andy Reid. Um, so just a couple more. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to get to all of them. Uh, Samuel Levin asked, "Do you think Veach looks to get back in the first round?" I have no idea, but I think he will if he's got someone he likes enough. Uh, Spaceman asked, based on rumors, which by the way, that's such a cop out answer, but I'm trying to get through as many of these as possible. Based on rumors floating around, would you prefer the Chiefs got? To back up Mahomes, Bridgewater, Kaiser, or someone else you like better? No way they signed Bridgewater as a backup. I'd be stunned. Um, I personally wouldn't hate if they went with Chase Daniel or some veteran like that, McCowan. Just someone where they can they can rely on them to not completely implode if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. Uh, Ryan Miller asked, does the trade of Marcus Peters change your offseason plans? Kind of. I still want them to double down on corners, so not that much, honestly. It's a bummer, and it makes the mountain a lot taller but it's still the same general stuff uh team tim settle asks would you pair honey badger with eric berry absolutely another guy if the if the seahawks are really looking to trade earl thomas do it pull the trigger get yourself the best safety tandem in the nfl um and so i i wish i had time to get to all of you got a few more here uh and i just don't have the time because well we were going through a bunch of quarterback stuff so Hopefully you guys enjoyed this first installment of the Dangers of Box Score Analysis. I hope that this has given you maybe open your eyes a little bit to some of the issues that there is with looking at just the box score. I hope it's given you some things to look for, some stats to look for, some stuff that you can look at while the game is being played. And all of us, in the end, can be a little bit smarter in how we watch football. What I want for you is to not take the same path I took and have it take seven years to learn some of this pretty basic stuff. And whereas you can just learn it in a day and already be smarter than me, which, again, that is not a tall mountain to climb. So I hope you've enjoyed that. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, I really want to say a special thank you to, uh, to Mark Schofield, who, again, or maybe it's Schofield. Mark, I think I've been saying your name wrong this whole time. Well, it's too late to re-record now. So Mark Schofield, <laughs> um, just just a great guy, wonderful human being, even though I've mispronounced his name now for 37 minutes, at Mark Schofield. Um, find him, follow him. He does great work on quarterbacks. I appreciate what he's done here. Um, as far as everything else, I appreciate I appreciate you guys listening. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review and do all that crazy stuff. Keep an eye out because we are going to do quite a few more of these over the, the rest of the offseason on edge rushers, hopefully on inside linebackers, hopefully on corners, maybe safeties, running backs, wide receivers. I want to look at a lot of these things because my goal, my ultimate goal, is that all of us can know just a little bit more about football while we watch it. And through that, enjoy the sport even more because it is a great, great sport. This has been the Chief of the North, the land of 10,000 takes. Thanks a lot for listening, guys, and I will talk to you again soon.